All right, so Elden Ring, what <laughs> here? Yeah, I'm fucking stoked. It's really funny because I on this show I went from being unaware of what it was and having zero interest to being fully interested, and in, yeah. I like pre-ordered it the other day because I was in GameStop, and I usually I don't pre-order games. The last time I pre-ordered a game was um, Smash Bros. Ultimate just because I was worried it's going to sell out, and I wanted a physical copy of it, so I did the pre-order thing. This time I was in there, and I was like, what are the chances it's going to sell out? And my GameStop was like, yeah, we usually don't get that many copies, and they, they're just, maybe they're just talking shit and just getting me to do it. And I was like, okay, sure, I'll pre-order it. And then he's like, yeah, by the way, if you pre-order it, you also get the Elden Ring, like a replica of the ring. Which oh, I, was okay. like, I was like, fuck yeah, I gotta get that. So, what is that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, I don't even know what it looks like. But I'm very excited. I'm going to go on Friday mornings just because the rings are first come, first serve, and I really want one. <laughs> like so that's gonna be like the first thing I do on Friday is go to the mall and wait and get get the pre-order and play okay. that all day and yeah all I, because of you because I had no idea what this game was and you hyped it up and even my buddy Adam is like I'm stoked for it and I'm trying to get all my friends to just <laughs> to do this game uh, I pre-ordered it from Best Buy because I wanted the steelbook okay <laughs> um I think it just comes with like it comes with just yeah the steelbook and then some bullshit DLC probably just like an emote or something like that but um yeah 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 i finished bloodborne last night i was like putting it off i could have finished it over the weekend but i just like kept putting it off i could have finished it like a week ago (laughs) i kept doing like side content and getting distracted and like i was doing multiplayer with kevin uh trying to help him out and then finally i beat it last night and I, i i had been looking up like when is the review embargo for elden ring so i knew reviews were coming out today i woke up I check Twitter <laughs> and like the first thing I do is like I check Twitter. I see that Elden Ring is like getting these great reviews and I'm like, okay, tight. And then I go back yeah. to sleep. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, today I've just been like watching reviews and stuff. Uh, yeah. I'm so fucking hyped. <laughs> like I haven't been this excited for something in a while. Yeah. I'm really, really excited. Um, I was talking to someone the other day. We were having a conversation and they're like, yeah, like, like last time a game had this much hype, it was like No Man's Sky. And my friend was like, "It's not the same." Like, like that was, it was like new cyberpunk, com- probably yeah. had the most hype. Yeah, well, also like No Man's Sky was like it was a company making their first AAA mm. title, their first time doing something that big, and they yeah. made a lot of promises that they couldn't really follow up on. And this is different. This is a company, or this is like a development team that is very tried and tested. They've made yep. a slew of fantastic knocking games. Knocking it out of the park. <laughs> yeah, it got George R.R. R. Martin in the cut writing lore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Names for dragons that we can't pronounce. Yeah, it's going to be fucked up. It's going to be great. It's funny, like, I remember the game was announced in 2019, and it was like <laughs> with, it's a uh, collaboration between Hedetake, uh, what is it? Hedetaka Miyazaki? last name is Miyazaki yeah. and George R. R. Martin and everyone was like whoa like Frontsoft is working with George R. R. Martin that's crazy and then as we get closer to the release date it's like I fucking forgot George R. R. Martin was attached yeah. to this like that's crazy. for me it's just all like the people who made Dark Souls like Miyazaki yeah. and yeah uh, it's gonna I be like, a good time I like how people there's like memes where people are like sort of deifying Miyazaki. <laughs> like, how could you doubt this man? That's great. Apparently he has a love for the the poisonous bog. I think that was a quote I read this week. He's like, this designing this game <laughs> made me fall back in love with the poisonous bog. Oh, no. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> it's like, yep, can't wait to <laughs> be infected and need some special mushroom or herb to fix it. 
I think there was an interview or something where he said he hadn't even played it yet. He was okay. like, yeah, this is like my idea of what a perfect game should be. Uh, I haven't tried it yet. But... <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 74 of Vague Zone. I am Daniel. I'm Thomas. And today we are discussing King Richard from Reynaldo Marcus Green and Nightmare Alley from Guillermo del Toro. This is the beginning of our journey through the Oscars Best Picture nominees. Yes. Uh, We're going to be doing it two weeks at a time. We do not have a set schedule, uh, so stay tuned to see which uh, movies we cover next week. But uh, Yeah, two two movies every week until the 27th when it airs. Until the... uh, disgraceful oscars that have decided to cut uh best original score best editor from from like the main yeah, event they're, they're, yeah, be... they're cutting eight categories uh short film editing makeup and hairstyling score production design animated short live action short yeah. and live action sound yeah they're, uh, they're gutting the ceremony <laughs> supposedly supposedly the way it's gonna work is they're not gonna announce those live they're gonna announce them during the commercial breaks and then during when they come back from the commercial break they're gonna play like highlights or something i don't know how it's gonna work it's gonna um, be a mess last year was a shit show it was just no clips there's bad jokes i don't know i'm, I'm very nervous about this one the movies are <laughs> i'm into the, i'm into the selection of movies but the ceremony i'm not looking forward to yeah uh i mean the ceremony like when was the last time the ceremony was really good uh 96 (laughs) i I don't know (laughs) like every year it's always like "Eh, whatever it was fine i mean i liked i liked watching the year shape of water one because i feel like there was a lot of good nominees that year and it was just nice to see movies that i was excited about winning awards um yeah when it's more about the uh throwing an entertaining ceremony with like skits and stuff like that that's what it's it's i don't give a fuck yeah i mean i I was remember watching the year that uh three six mafia won for best song for uh uh, hustle and flow that was was a good time so i'm I'm always down i have good memories fond memories of the academy awards enjoyed watching them with you last year and Mm -hmm. i it's usually something you do jesus something i do with the family (laughs) time flies it's insanity all right yeah so going to talk about if we want to talk a little bit more about the category arrangements and the hosting situation and now all the stuff about the 94th Academy Awards, we can sort of say that for later. But right now, we're going to yeah. dive into some of the nominees. Yes. So is it up to me to read the IMDb synopsis? Uh, yeah, let's. So we're starting with King Richard. Uh, yeah. How about you read us the synopsis from IMDb? All right. Directed by Reynaldo Marcus Green, King Richard 2021. A look at how tennis superstars Venus and Serena Williams became who they are after the coaching from their father. Richard Williams. Mm. All right, Daniel, what were your thoughts about King Richard upon viewing? Um, so I wasn't really looking forward to this one because it was two hours and 24 minutes. <laughs> um, yeah. And I was like, I, it's not a story that I was, you know, really interested in. I was, I just didn't care to learn about uh, the father of Venus and Serena Williams. Yeah, you're and, not really a sports guy either. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a sports guy. And like, I'm not really, uh, I feel like, I'm not really a biopic guy, maybe, because I feel like a lot of these movies have similar trajectories. Um, but I was totally, I totally got sucked into this movie. I was like okay. laughing along with the jokes. Like, 
I I absolutely enjoyed it way more than I anticipated. I feel I'm like kind of embarrassed the degree to to which I got like sucked in and that this movie worked on me. That's um, cool. But yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I thought like initially I was kind of like, oh, Will Smith, he's doing a voice. That's kind of odd. But in the movie, I completely forgot he was doing a voice. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, even um, gosh, what's his his name? John Bernthal is kind of doing a, a a voice too, and I completely forget about it by the end. Uh, the performances are just fucking solid. There are times where they do a great job of painting Richard Williams as like there are there are moments where he like kind of becomes a villain where you're like this guy's a fucking asshole like fuck this dude but then you keep coming back to his side because things keep working out uh and you know it's it's one of those movies where you just want to go and study like the true story like how much of this actually played out this way uh but it turns out you know a lot of it uh one of the sisters uh well actually venus and serena are our producers on the movie and i believe one of uh, their other sisters i'm struggling to remember the name let me look this up um yeah is it isha price aisha price Um, one of the other one of the other williams sisters though she's also producer and uh, from what i read she had uh she was more involved than venus and serena like actually showing up on set making sure that everything they got everything right um and yeah like Richard Williams, he really did have like a 80 page plan for his daughters that was mapping out their whole life. Uh, and yeah. he stuck to it and somehow it all fucking worked out. He knew exactly what he was doing in defiance of everyone else who, who, who had more experience and, you know, truly believed he was making the wrong calls on all of these things. Um, it's really fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but yeah, like, what did you think of the? What did you think of the movie? So I watched this around uh, Christmas time with my, um, I watched it with my parents and my aunt, and we had a good time watching it. Uh, really solid, yeah. Like I'm, I think I agree with you most most part. Like Will Smith is great. Like he really kind of falls into this role. One of my favorite small little moments is when he plays them. I think he plays them uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, or he plays he mm-hmm. plays them. Um, uh, yeah, he plays him that, and then he's just like, all right, so what did we learn from the film? And they all uh, give their answers, and they all give, like, nice, lofty little answers, and he's like, all right, none of you understood. We're going to watch the film again. And it's <laughs> yeah. just like, it's just like, the way he says it is just so perfect, and he's just, he's really charming throughout this. And, yeah, it, this is a really great, like, this is a really sweet movie, and I, I do find a little bit of... So, sorry, there is criticism of this movie about, like, okay, why are you making a movie about the dad as opposed to making a movie about the sisters? I I made that criticism when I saw the trailer for it. Yeah, yeah, and I I absolutely get that, and I think that's totally valid, but I think there is a lot of interesting things going on with sort of his role as sort of defending them as, like, young black girls in the hood and sort of just, like, making sure that they're growing up all right and, like, guiding them in this world of tennis that is just a very affluent and a very white and a very bizarre world, to be frank. And Mm -hmm. so, like, just those, like, just sort of seeing both of those things is really cool. Uh, So, like, the first time I watched it, I was totally into it. The second time, I was definitely kind of feeling the runtime a little bit and a little bit, like... Uh, like less interested because I was like, okay, I paired this with Nightmare Alley because Nightmare Alley was something I I hadn't seen and I was very interested and eager to watch and this Mm -hmm. was something as well that I wasn't as eager to see but I I was okay, this is something I I want to watch but it's not very high up on the list and as far as like rewatches, this was on the low end with um, uh, Don't Look Up but watching this is is, is really cool. Will Smith is great, Jean Bernthal is great. I, I think the 
the girls, um, like uh, Sanaya, Sydney, and uh, Demi Singleton, or no, on, on Ellis. They're like they're they're great. Like I think their performances are really good. When we actually get the tennis, it is like such a breath of fresh air in the movie. Where it's just like we have all the stuff with Richard, but once the girls start playing and we get to focus on the actual playing, it's great. Um, yeah, I, I I think as far as it being like a sports biopic, I think it's okay. Um, this is Ronaldo Marcus Green's. It's like his third movie. He's like mm. done some other like smaller things. His first movie was actually like um, uh, it's the incident dealing with uh, Eric Garner. So it's a recreation of sort of the Eric Garner situation in New York. And, and the movie he did after that is a, a story about. Uh, a gay student at a high school that was bullied to the point of suicide. And so, like, the two movies he's done before this have been, like, serious, dramatic, sort of heavy movies. And I feel like this is kind of in that same line. It it isn't, like, it is triumphant towards the end, but overall it is, like, a dramatic movie. And I I don't know. After rewatching it, it's, like, not something I don't know if I would revisit. It doesn't have, like, it isn't like really bright and really like uplifting in ways that like I don't know, other sports movies are. Like it's not super sports focused. Like it's more yeah. focused on Richard doing his thing and protecting the girls. And I don't know. It, it, I feel like it's in a weird middle ground where it's like it wants to be more melodrama. It, I don't know. I, I I I'm struggling to really articulate how I feel about this movie because I'm like I think it's good. I think it works. Yeah. It's a fun. It's a movie that functions well, but it doesn't quite have the qualities that made me want to revisit it and even when rewatching it i was just like I'm, I'm kind of bored i want more with the daughters i want more with like you know the tennis i just want more tennis stuff and less i don't know just like hanging out and kind of talking talking shit so it would i think it would have been nice to get more of the daughter's perspective it feels like there's even a scene in this movie where they're being interviewed by a journalist i forget who it is i think venus uh, is being yeah, interviewed yeah. by a journalist and then she answers a question and the journalist kind of like tries to pry for more of an answer from her mm-hmm. and Richard gets in the way and he kind of like he kind of he ruins the interview <laughs> like I was like feeling bad for that interview I'm like this guy's just trying to ask questions um, yeah. but like Richard takes control of the interview and he has this very domineering very strict personality yeah, which is like uh, a real thing that happened. That clip yeah. is on YouTube. <laughs> and so oh, I got to see that clip. Um, yeah. But I think that's, yeah. So I would I would have liked to have seen more from the daughters. Uh, but I think the reason this works for me as someone who's not in, really that interested in biopics, not that interested in sports, uh, is it's not a sports movie. It's about, it's about a parent. <laughs> it's like a managing movie. Um, yeah. And it like, it has this sort of, structure of a sports movie like it's all about like building up to like the big showdown kind of um but yeah it's it's just a character piece and the i think the the decision to focus on richard williams rather than venus and serena like i criticize that because like hey we have these two great athletes why are we telling the story of a man you know um Mm -hmm. It's because the st- the story of that man, their father, is a fucking weird story. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. he was, his like a manage his managerial style, his parenting style was kind of strange, and yeah, yeah. and the fact that it worked <laughs> is remarkable. So it's one of those like the truth is stranger than fiction moments where it's like this is a story we're telling because it's an interesting fucking story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
So I have a question. There's two moments in this movie that really stuck out to me upon first watch, and even they're even more seared in my mind after, upon second upon rewatch. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask what you think about. There's one plot point in the beginning of this movie where we established that the tennis courts that Richard and Venus and Serena practice at are not safe in the way that there are sort of gangbangers kind of adjacent, mm-hmm. and they are threatening uh, the daughter Tunde. They're like basically be like, hey, like we're gonna like assault you essentially like we're yeah. fucking like they're just badgering her and it's up to williams uh, sorry uh, richard to sort of step in and be the middle of that and then it gets pushed to a point where it's, we establish that he has a security job and he has access to a firearm mm-hmm. and he has the option to sort of solve this conflict on his own and then he goes to do it and then drive-by happens and the drive-by shoots the people that are sort of badgering Tunde. and so what do you think about that moment because i was like is this a moment where does this feel like a deus ex machina or is this literally just like the setting being realistic and the setting being something yeah this is something where it happens naturally so i think it's one it's one to give him like this character moment of like showing how far he's been pushed yeah, um, yeah, but then also it's underlining, like how he feels. Like so, so before that scene, uh, kind of earlier into this movie, I had this feeling of I feel like they should show we're not getting enough of like how he feels about where he's living, how he feels about being in the ghetto. Yeah, uh, because if we understand that like he he hates it here, if like he feels that the danger of being here then we can understand like his drive to escape it and to want to build a better life for his daughters. And so like when this scene happens, it feels like it's just driving that point home. It's underlining like he needs to get his daughters the fuck out of here. Um, And I feel like later we get a scene of them watching footage of uh, Rodney King being beaten on the news. And I feel like that's also kind of underlining like, this is the this is the context. This is the context that these people are growing up in. This is the context yeah. that he's trying to build a better life for his children in, and it just helps us understand that character's drive. Um, yeah, and the mom has such a great line in the moment where they're like, "At least we got him on film this time." And I was like, yeah. "This is a great way to sort of tie it into how it affected the '90s, but also yeah. tie it in how to it affects 2021." Yeah, it's just like a. it's it's just like it's the same shit happening, and it's just like. Yeah, like, they don't really, like, dwell on it too much, and it's a really great, like, moment, and, yeah, it's, it's really subtle, yeah, there's a lot of nice little moments in this movie, like, that's one of them, and also there's a part, basically established that the juniors, sorry, the juniors tennis tournament or whatever is pretty rigorous and pretty tough, but it's mm-hmm. also something that is, like, quote-unquote, not necessary if, you know, according to Richard's... Uh, his yeah. plan he basically sort of skips over that and he's like the yeah, whole we're just gonna have him practice until they can yeah. become pros yeah yeah which is like I, I fucking love that as far as like, like you get to this whole point with like there's this whole suspicion with the neighbor like oh yeah like they're out practicing in the rain like they're practicing all night they're yeah. not doing whatever but he's like at this point in the movie he's like no like i want them to be kids i just want them to go to school i just want them to, to yeah, do what they have to do it's such a strange dynamic of it's like a reversal trying to it feels like their home is like a factory for success <laughs> because yeah, like yeah. Uh, like they're just like training their daughters to be incredibly successful um but at the same so like i even wrote down early into the movie like balance hard work slash positive relationship like how is he able to balance like being very putting his daughters through this rigorous training 
um, like emphasizing hard work while still not being so strict that it's completely damaging their relationship with him. I think yeah, that's yeah. in itself is incredibly remarkable. Um, yeah, but, but, but hold on before you go further, I just want to mention about the juniors. There's a shot where it's like basically it's established that Venus is just s s soaring through juniors. She's beating every single person to the point where like mm -hmm. the dads of the players are encouraging those players to, to cheat, cheat and yeah. use dirty <laughs> tactics just to get her to win, which happens to the end of the movie. But like there's a, a part where they're like it's two parents and they're like like they're basically grilling a kid after she lost but the kid looks like she's five i was just like the, the like it's like such like it's a small child like it's a very small child and they're just like you could have done better but i was like like the they even state in the movie like the juniors is 12 and under so i was just like i wonder if this is like a commentary on tennis culture they even mentioned that yeah like uh richard went on uh on record saying that yeah i think these tennis parents should be shot because yeah. of the way that they're behaving and it's like when i watched it the first time i was just like oh i wonder if that was something that's kind of thrown in there but no it seems to be like that's one of their commentaries towards the affluent side of just like the tennis engine of just like it's 12 and under so they could literally get thrown in there at any age and like i don't know just like them going up against like a 12 year old venus who's just like been <laughs> swinging in the rain like she's gonna just get dominated like it just it was, a, it was like a weird moment and so but yeah i think it so like going to the back to the point of like balancing hard work and a positive relationship like we're contra contrasting his relationship with the relationship that the other parents have with their children yeah and yeah. so it's like he never really talked to his children that way and when the, I, like the cruelest we've ever seen him be to his daughters was when they were bragging and about winning they won <laughs> yeah, yeah. and he treated them poorly and threatened to like abandon them and it was only like his wife that like made him go back for his children yeah, so it's like Brandy. he was <laughs> like it, he was like driving into his kids like yeah you got to work hard and you got to be the best but you got to be humble about it you can't be a fucking yeah, yeah. dick about it um and so and, and like he even has that um you know he has that dialogue with his daughter where he's telling her the story about when he was beaten up by these guys these white dudes and he looked up and he saw his father running away and how he needs to be there for his daughter and so spoilers for the end of this movie uh when yeah. venus is playing and she's she loses this this major tennis match he walks up into the stands and he sits down and he's right there with the whole family where she can see them. And I'm not sure if that was something that they really underlined, if they really highlighted, like having a shot reverse shot of like her looking up in the stands or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it still comes through. Like, like it's not an accident that he left to go sit up in the stands. Like, I, I think that is effectively why he did it was so yeah, that yeah. he could be there for her and she would know that he was there for her. Um, but yeah. Yeah, this movie's. I really like this movie, and like it kind of yeah. it made me think about. There was times where, um, I remember my mom has the story about how my sister, when she was in elementary school or something, complained that she wasn't being challenged enough, <laughs> and like so, my mom ended up kind of taking the reins and like going to the school and like picking my my sister's teachers for her because she wanted her to be in like tougher classes to like That's push cool. her harder. Yeah. Um, and it was like and you know maybe there's maybe there's critiques to be made about that style of parenting but it's like yeah oh my sister was a fucking good student <laughs> like yeah 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 She's i have fucking done, smart yeah that's that's really cool i haven't done too much research into richard williams himself uh, i've i've 
read that there, there are other kids and like they've even alluded to that in this movie that hey like he's sort of had other children before this and is sort of looking to sort of make some sort of greater success vicariously through that and so I think there might be a little bit of sort of polishing of this character going on I, I, I would lo- like to yeah. research more into it to have a more like definite opinion about it but I do think that like as far as the movie it's like it's, it's solid it's like a there, it, it is. I do think it is a little bit long. I feel like a lot of these Best Picture nominees are like two hours plus, at least two hours and twenty minutes, like in that territory for like most of these movies. And yeah, like I, I think dealing with the first coach is like cool, and it, we under it helps us establish that like Richard is going to be coaching them and, and like and yeah. overshadowing the coaching of the other these other people that he still needs some sort of to get into these doorways into these communities but like there's just like a lot of time de- uh, devoted to that first ca- uh, coach but then when we finally get to John Bernthal it's like oh thank god it's like okay cuz he's a little more charismatic a little more fun of a character to be around his setting is in Florida they they have <laughs> Disneyland next door so yeah. they have this whole fun thing like oh instead of just like fucking around or whatever and missing practice or having Richard interfere, it's like, oh, they can just go to Disney World instead. And I think that that conflict is a little bit more rich and a little bit more visually interesting just because of the setting change. And I think, yeah, it kind of it, it middles around a little bit before we get to that point where it becomes a little bit more juicier conflict. Hmm. I don't know. I, I felt bad for, so I think it's I think it's Paul Cohen or Mr. Cohen, at least, who was uh, their first coach. And I was like feeling bad for him. Like anytime Richard was get like getting up and like advising, because yeah, yeah. it's like, dude, you hired this guy. Like, do you want him to coach or not? So you need to have that square stance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, but then like that's the thing. It's like it all ends up fucking working out, and he was right. And I can't even be mad because it's a true story. <laughs> like I yeah. can't even be like, oh, what are the odds this dude's gonna be right? And it's like, no, he was right. <laughs> like he knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, there's one thing I want to mention. Okay, so before this, I watched an interview because I was, like I said, I, like, I felt like I had established my uh, opinion about this movie, so I wanted to know more about the director. Mm-hmm. So I watched an interview with uh, uh, our, our friend, Ronaldo Marcus Green, and he was doing an interview with AFI that actually it came out today, like a few hours ago. And he, in this interview, he describes the relationship with the screenwriter he says, like, the screenwriter is like the architect. And the architect, he, like, you know, he makes the design, he makes the blueprint, and I'm the person that builds the house. And so it's my, like, I, he sort of, the, the quote is, I see each movie like a house. And so I wonder what your opinion is of that quote was, because I, I thought that was a really interesting way to sort of, uh, an interesting metaphor to sort of apply to making movies. Because, you know, we're, we're we both went to film school, we've had, plenty of conversations with filmmakers we've been to plenty of film festivals and seen conversations about this about like the process and i thought that was a really interesting way to sort of vocalize and verbalize just like the filmmaking process of like the screenwriter is the architect and i'm the person that builds the house and each movie is a new house yeah i don't know i don't know how i feel about that totally (laughs) um sydney lumet had like a similar thing where it was like um he it's not he wasn't trying to make the movie conform to him. He was trying to conform himself to the movie. Like, like, okay. like okay. this move. There's a certain way to make this script, uh, to get the script from the page to the screen, and it's like I have to be most as effective as possible in doing that. 
I'm not yeah. going to mold the script to me to make it a Sidney Lumet film. Like, um, Network is, it says it's by Patty Chayefsky, the, the, the writer of Network. He doesn't say it's by Sidney Lumet. Um, yeah, yeah. He doesn't take, yeah, he doesn't give that authorial credit to himself. See, I didn't know that. Um, That's cool. So, like, I think there is a certain validity to that. And I think a lot of the people that we look at as auteurs, uh, they're usually writer directors. They're people who have a hand in the script. Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah. I mean, there's also that idea that like a script, uh, a movie is made like three times. It's made in the writing process, and the directing process, and the editing process. Um, and so, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I, 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 it was just. It, <laughs> it was interesting. I just thought it was interesting because yeah, he said that, and he also said that like yeah, it's like. He's he comes off as like a new filmmaker to me in this interview because he's also like yeah like before I didn't really quite know how to use my 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 crew and now I sort of see the crew as like sort of like chess pieces essentially mm-hmm. like this is kind of like a game of chess and it, it seems like like I, I was at first when I first watched it I was just like I my first reaction was like I don't like this person and I don't like the way mm-hmm. that he's using metaphors to describe filmmaking but then I like sort of. Medi- like meditated on it a little bit and I was like hold on a second like I think he's just being just very analytical and I think that sort of comes off in King Richard where it, it feels like it's analytical but also it still has those moments of like it, it is inspirational it is like uplifting in a way where it it functions very well and it just takes those moments and it does things subtly and it does things very overtly and like like honestly like I said like, like you mentioned the Rodney King thing on the TV like a very brief moment with a couple of lines or something as big as like yeah Richard is like watching the entire match inside the the hallway or whatever and then he goes into the, the stands to like sort of physically be in the match with him yeah. and I, I don't know I, I it sort of it made me sort of understand him a little bit more because like I said I was so ready to like yeah go into a, a Guillermo del Toro movie but with this I was like okay like sports biopic I don't know the director too much I want to sort of like unpack this and yeah it is interesting because like yeah he's I don't know he's he's doing something re- like very well and very like successfully but I'm trying to figure out it's like is this super analytical and just like a paint by numbers kind of thing or is he having like some fun and being able to express yeah. himself as who he is yeah I don't know it's like and, and and it's one of those things where with auteur theory, you need to look at the director's catalog to really understand, like, who is this person as an artist? Who are they as a person? <laughs> um, yeah. And this is the only movie I've seen from this person. So I can't I can't really say I have a solid understanding of what it is that they care about. Um, yeah. Monsters and Men looks good because, yeah, it's about Eric Garner. It's about a very recent issue with, like, within the black community dealing with Bruce... Uh, police brutality and so it's like that movie looks good has um uh john uh denzel washington's son uh denzel washington jr i'll just call him (laughs) it has him it has him but then joe bell is like a really sad looks like a pretty sad drama with uh mark Wahlberg as like the father of (laughs) <laughs> of, of the kid. yeah it's like Mark Wahlberg doing a turn as like a really dramatic uh, it, it seems too melodramatic for me that's why like King Richard is much more in the category of yeah like sports biopic which I'm totally for I'm totally down for you know Serena Venus Williams I want to know more please give me another I was even like I think I would be down for like a sequel for this movie. <laughs> like, like this movie is like. There's still so much more to yeah, tell a lot about of story. <laughs> about them. Like, there's so much more. The fact that yeah, like Venus was like one of the 
trailblazers of being like one of the first black female great tennis players but like Richard says and predicts in this movie that Serena goes to be one of the greatest tennis players of all time period not the greatest (laughs) yeah they say they say like Serena's serve is like unreal and like one of the hardest serves to like actually play against which I just like it kind of blows my mind because you can sort of see that in the movie that like all the energy and screen time and love is going towards Venus and then Serena's like in the corner just like going crazy just like yeah notice me (laughs) like it's great yeah it's very cool yeah man i, yeah. I dug this movie <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, I'm happy you liked it because yeah, i was a little on the fence but i'm happy you enjoyed it cool shall we dive into nightmare alley yeah all right so uh would you like to read the imdb synopsis for us absolutely okay nightmare alley guillermo del toro 2021 an ambitious carney with a talent for manipulating people with a few well-chosen words hooks up with a female psychiatrist who is even more dangerous than he is. Um, All right. So I'm going to let you start off because I started off with thoughts on the last one. Okay. Um, I fucking love this movie. I was really (laughs) anticipating this. I was looking forward to this movie a lot. Um, I just wanted to mention our friend of the show who suggested the movie uh, Relic that we watched mm. like last year, I was like, what was your opinion on Nightmare Alley? And their review was, it took him four days to finish it, which I thought really? was just like such a funny review just in itself, just being like, it took me four days to finish this movie. They didn't think it was very scary. But actually, I love this movie. I'm like, <laughs> It's not kind a of horror obs- movie. <laughs> yeah, like not really. I'm kind of, honestly, I'm kind of obsessed with this movie. Yeah, I, uh, that person likes more extreme horror films, and to, yeah. in defense of that person, be like, okay, like, yeah, this is like it's kind of spooky, it's kind of eerie, it, it like has the atmosphere of like a, a horror kind of thing, but it's it's more of like a classic That's Hollywood kind okay. of movie. I, at least like visually, like when I was watching the trailer, it's like okay, you got bradley cooper lighting fires and walking away from stuff it's like mysteriously you know like rooney mara's role it looks it looks sinister and it it looks like it has the potential for bloodshed and harm okay i gotta i gotta interject and say that i you don't you don't agree i never (laughs) suspected that this would be a horror movie i okay uh yeah, I know Guillermo del Toro is attached to it, and a lot of people apply horror to Guillermo del Toro. But like, yeah, I had like watching the trailer, I thought it just looked like a, a Steven Spielberg movie that I was surprised Guillermo del Toro had directed. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, actually, yeah. Uh, okay, go ahead. Um, actually, I would like knowing like my approach. Like, I tried to like watch like as few trailers as possible. So I think I just watched like a little bit of the trailer, and it was like, okay, I'm sold. Like, it's Guillermo del Toro, it's Bradley Cooper. We've got a yeah, Kate Blanchett. Like it's just like the, the casting is fantastic, and the atmosphere alone. It looked sinister and it looked dark, and it looked like even like they were. I think they were doing something with like having shots of Rooney Mara's act that looked like it was something that was going to be like okay. something kind of like really. Dark I could absolutely see someone cutting a horror esque trailer for this movie, considering all of the elements in here. But uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it definitely the movie that this is is much more in line with like a classic Hollywood film, where it's more, uh, it's. I mean, there are moments of violence and moments of like you know brutality, but yeah. overall, it's it's more of like a drama, more of like a thriller, thriller and yeah. I I really enjoyed it. Like I've been kind of posting on social media that like noting on Bradley Cooper and Guillermo del Toro's relationship that is sort of spawned from this, and they sort of had a moment where. The movie started, I think they filmed for 
a couple of weeks and then the pandemic happened and so they had to sort of shelve it for six months or whatever and so they just kind of kept in communication and the result of that is kind of just continued to nerd out about the movie and i think it also got amplified by the fact that bradley cooper had directed a star is born a few years earlier and sort of had experience directing and then uh, they they talk about like yeah it's sort of they helped that helped sort of blend their connection a little bit more and the Vanity Fair video of them sort of just nerding out about one of the opening scenes is just really great. Oh, I gotta watch that. It's, it's a lot of fun. And I think this movie is a lot of fun. I think it is, like I said, a lot of the movies that are nominated this year are like two and a half hours long. So I think this movie is a little long. I think it does drag a bit. But I think it's great. We have great practical effects, great performances. It's just a really just like satisfying movie. I would love to have a movie like this, you know, every single year where he's like a very great director at the top of his game using all of the tools to the best that they can, you know, practical effects, just a, a really nice, like mystery kind of dark movie about a con man. That's always really satisfying. And there's a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. what you think? Um, I was, I don't think I was as taken with it as you. Um, I wouldn't say I have any like, serious problems with the movie or anything um it just to me it felt like a pretty straightforward thriller um Mm -hmm. i appreciate yeah i appreciate the performances here i felt like um kate blanchett was kind of subdued in the first half of the movie or not the first half of the movie because she's not even in the first half of the movie but uh in the first half of her like appearance um it felt like she was just kind of this uh you know I don't know. She delivered her her lines like in a very like blunt, you know, way, straightforward way. Um, and then she got to have a little mm-hmm. bit more fun with the character towards the end of her performance. But um, yeah, Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper is one of those actors where I'm just so surprised by him because he came out of Wet Hot American Summer, and then you <laughs> see him in something like Licorice Pizza, which we'll be talking about uh, at some other point. Um, yeah. And hangover I, I never saw hangover <laughs> um, wow that's yeah, crazy i know that's a huge wow. like cultural yeah thing that i missed out on um, all three because i love amazing. and i love zach alfanakis <laughs> but i saw the trailer and i was like zach alfanakis is gonna be the best part of that movie um and then i just never watched it um all three are great okay I'll, I'll, <laughs> <laughs> like i'm one of those weird people like every single we're, one of we're gonna need a new franchise movie. at some point um oh goodness <laughs> But, uh, yeah, Bradley Cooper, he's one of those guys where <laughs> it's kind of like, fuck you, Bradley Cooper. Because, like, he does such a good job. <laughs> and yeah, you're like, yeah. fuck you for doing such a good job. Um, but, yeah, I love the cast yeah. in this movie. I feel like in the first half of this movie, we're introduced to some concepts that I was waiting to come into play later in the movie. Um, one of those concepts comes into play in a very serious way in the final couple minutes of this movie. Um, yeah, I, am for me, it was kind of just, it was a pleasant thriller, but I, I wasn't that taken with it. I will say this while going into this movie, I feel like I definitely applied a lot of my own expectations to it where I was like, I feel like there's going to be layers of stuff there's going to be like a plot or a twist or sort of and none of those things quite happen i think it's yeah, pretty, it pretty straightforward. straightforward yeah like the trajectory of our protagonist is is 
Stanton Carlisle is kind of established pretty on. Like he is like kind of conforming to this new world, and he is a hustler. And whatever he can kind of learn to sort of up himself, he's going to do. He's opportunist, and he sort of just does that continuously. And I do like the feeling of dread that we get as he sort of just goes further and further into the deep end. That like I really do appreciate those kind of things in these movies where there's this moment where it's like okay, he's established that. Like, so he meets uh, Tony Collette's character, Zena the Seer, and so he's, like, learning a few things from her and from her husband, where they're, like, kind of just, like, being very friendly, being very, like, um, hospitable, but he's just, like, using this information, like, oh, wait, like, like you're, he's taking that hospitality, hospitality and turning it into, like, I can use this to just be yeah. personal gain, use this, like, take your, like, book of secrets that I'm telling you, you can't open, you can't look into this and be like, I'm just going to take this and find a way to, to benefit off of it. It's kind of, yeah, I, it's like I, a huckster. I, I don't know. I just like that, like, spiraling. I, I, it does have, like, a sort of predictable ending, but I think it it really felt powerful to me. I don't know. I really enjoy just, I don't know, just the feeling that this, this movie gave, just, like, a lot of just the setting, like, a lot of the shots, just the use of just, like, vanishing points of just being in really big spaces that sort of just draw you in. There's like a really great crane shot when they're like looking for the geek early on. It's like a stormy night. There's just like expanding carnival lights. And I don't know, it just kind of just draws you in in a way that when I was watching this and sort of, I don't like to compare it to King Richard because it's a different type of movie that's trying to accomplish different things. But this is the kind of movie where like, I will put this on if you like, if I had to choose ten, nine times out of ten, I would choose to watch probably something like Nightmare Alley over something like King Richard because it's the kind of movie that just like that just draws you in and has the qualities of those like a mysterious, dangerous, yeah, like type of movie. It, it just feels like the like a Hitchcock kind of thing where you know it's just like this is a world that I'm not supposed to be in. There's characters that are have shady, you know, shady motivations, and I, I, I don't know, I'm just much more drawn to this world as this, this type of aesthetic. Yeah. And I think that's just why, I, don't, I, I feel like you're more lukewarm on it, but this is the kind of thing where I'm just like, I could watch something like this just for, like, just for any night of the week, because it's just, like, it's just more satisfying to see, you know, Bradley Cooper walking around a carnival with a flashlight lighting up, like, these practical sets that just open up and then he walks into this portal and then and it's, it's the kind of shit that just makes me want to pull out the laptop and start typing you know what I mean I was going to say if this movie deserves to be nominated for anything it's cinematography and production design and I just looked it up and it's nominated for both <laughs> so yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. I, I remember watching the trailer and really being taken with the look of it um, and then when I was watching the movie on HBO Max uh, it felt like something was missing. Like I was like, what magic came through in the trailer? Were they just like cutting together the best shots? <laughs> like maybe, yeah. um, because I know this looks great, but it doesn't, f- I'm not awestruck with what I'm seeing, uh, in each of these shots. I think that might tie into the fact that we're like aligning with a character that is unraveling and like unearthing these like mystical things and basically be like, Oh yeah, like the geek isn't like a like a freak of nature. He's actually like he's a drug an opiate. Yeah. He's an opiate addict, like a World War One veteran. Like that's like the reality of this. Like it, like you know, like the Spider Woman is most likely just like a woman behind like a piece of like plywood or something like that. Like it's very clear that 
our character Stanton is just like learning. He's like like is every time he comes in contact with a character, it's kind of like he's learning the secrets behind that. And I think that demystifying is is a kind of alarming, and it it feels like the rug is kind of getting pulled from under our feet. Where like it does it like yeah, it's not really scary. It does feel like it is like. It's kind of like you're like going around, it's like dousing fires. Like, oh yeah, this is like kind of like a crazy concept, but like actually, but you find out how it works. Like you find out that this isn't a magic thing. These are just word cues. We're just making, you know, you know we have my my wife set up the word cues, and then she feeds them to me. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's just that relationship that allows us to pull off this supposedly mystifying thing. And so I think there is a whole thing about this movie is about like taking the magic away from magical things which is kind of like a it does feel like oh this is like kind of a bummer <laughs> like where it's like well, that's how, kind of how it feels in effect when you're watching well it. because usually like this perverse illusion is accompanied with actual pain <laughs> so yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. like the geek he's just, uh, this weirdo who eats chicken heads and it's like no he's a drug addict he's being exploited like this man is suffering <laughs> uh, yeah yeah you know uh rooney mara like she uh, can withstand electricity and it's like no all of the muscles in her body tightens and she calls it quits when she knows she can't take anymore <laughs> like this is torturous yeah, yeah. for her um, and so him, do, him doing these spook shows he's taking advantage of these people who are actually suffering and it re- results in the deaths of multiple people uh, yeah that's honestly that's honestly why I'm like in fat like infatuated with this movie and fascinated by it because I was like I was expecting it to be like this is going to be a body horror Guillermo del Toro kind of poetic thing but it's more just about like no it's just a very grounding journey through this carnival world of hustlers and like when he's like my my favorite moment in this like movie where like towards the end they're establishing this very elaborate setup with like the fact that um we have Kate Blanchett's character as the therapist who is recording conversations from these clients that are high-end clients, and then our character, our hero, goes in and steals that information mm-hmm. to find clues to sort of swindle this person. He's trying to like yeah. make this big swindle, and he like he recruits Rooney Mars' character to like play this daughter who died from a back alley like botched abortion, and it's just it's such like a high concept like grift and then when it starts to unfold like when it starts to unravel it's so heartbreaking and then the like the guy who they're trying to grift he's like he turns on him he's just like you dirty motherfucker and like yeah. that line had so much weight to me because i was just like it's like a like movie set in the 40s where like swearing is used by some of the characters but like the fact that like this higher up guy just calls him a dirty motherfucker it has he's so much weight to me like, it's a it's a really good like use of a swear be like use of a curse word and be like hey like you have crossed a line that is like uncrossable and like and uh, i just like really loved it and just like also just the shots of yeah it's like them doing it looked really yeah. like cinematic it's just her like coming we're in out buffalo with the blood on yeah. her hands and stuff yeah there's just snow like perpetual snow in this buffalo and I don't know, it's very dreamlike, and I don't know, I think it's, yeah, Guillermo del Toro is very much just, like, he, he's in, like, I don't know, I don't know if, it, like, comfort zone is the right word to say it, but, like, post Shape of Water, I think this is going to be a very key for his career, because, I, like, I think he's found someone key with uh, Bradley Cooper. I wish I would have seen this in theaters, because I feel like it would have been far more yes, effective. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a black and white version, too. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I wish I would be curious to see. Like I haven't seen the black. <laughs> I haven't seen the black and white version of Mad Max, but I've I've heard that it's 
is good. Um, did you see the black and white version of Zack Snyder's Justice League? <laughs> is that a thing? I think it's a thing. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is okay. a thing. Uh, no, it's, yeah, uh, and like I say, like that movie is a like an uh, an upgrade of the original Justice League yeah, that we an got. Upgrade of I a pile of shit. W- wasn't gonna go back in and watch that three and a half yeah. hour movie oh just like right after. Yeah, you know, I feel like we've mentioned it before, but yeah, like all of these movies have just been like long. Tone it down, folks. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think both of these movies could have had trimming on. You know. Yeah, I watched this over two sittings. Um, I think I, I quit right before he took on the job with uh, Grindel, so like right before the lie detector scene. That was my yeah, first wow. break. We- which is a good scene. Which I think, I and I also think it's a good break point because the movie becomes all about his relationship with Grendel at that, after that. Um, and, like, this job. Uh, yeah, and also I just like just the use of props and the use of things like having, like, just the tarot cards being, like, a physical thing that the character has to interact yeah. with that sort of hints at his fate. Like, and he turns him, it upside down. He, he fixed it yeah. himself. <laughs> Him going into like the I don't know if it's a prison or like the area where he interviews Grindel for the or Grindel interviews him for the first time yeah. where they're like here give me it your felt jacket like a they bank or something like that it had such a weird yeah, vibe yeah. yeah I just like that they're sort of he he's just getting sort of stripped in the process of this but it's like oh let's take your jacket let's take your watch and then it's real yeah, then he's it's being made that, vulnerable oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah by the way you're gonna take a lie detector to test and then like just the physicality of the the, like the needle scraping is just really good stuff yeah. really good cinematic shit and like like I say like I think that stuff is I connect to that more I think I react to that stuff a lot more than the sort of very straightforward stuff that King Richard is doing I think that I, maybe we don't it's have to more compare showy. the two they're very different I know, I, know we, I, I know we don't I know we don't have to I'm just saying it's like, they're, like I, I sort of paired them for a reason because mm-hmm. I was just like one is like a movie that is very showy, quote unquote, and one is more just like this is about the performances and this is about like this story. Yeah, this one is more of a genre thing. piece and the other one is a, a drama. Like, yeah, and like I I love sports biopics when they're you know really good and I, I King Richard was one that I just wasn't crazy about and just didn't have as much like I think I just might like more visually driven things when it comes to stories maybe. and I love I fucking love genre movies but it is refreshing it is always refreshing to watch a movie that's just about people yeah. <laughs> like sure. like they don't have special powers or anything like that they're just it's just the relationships between people yeah, we get that. We have Bruno, you know, Ron Perlman. He, he's a he's he's his knees hurt. He's. A, I mean, we're talking about the movie Bruno for a second. <laughs> I, uh, I just uh, every Guillermo del Toro movie just has to have Ron Perlman. That's why I say like I'm very much here for the del Toro Cooper era. They like I was reading the Wikipedia. They said that they sort of bonded on the cor- over the course of making this movie, and I was just like if. Bradley Cooper becomes Guillermo del Toro's like leading man for another couple of movies. I'm totally fine yeah. with that. Give me like, give me like a fly type of movie where he just like just turns into a grotesque oh, yeah, that'd be thing. Sick. Like, like, like I think yeah, like just oh, it'd be so great. Well, it's like I think it, Elephant Man. <laughs> yeah, because uh, so I think now Blumhouse is taking control of the what was at one point of the Dark Universe. You know about the Dark Universe? 
Yeah. yeah. Um, so Blumhouse seems to be like running with that because they made The Invisible Man, which was actually like pretty good, fairly low budget, like typical Blumhouse movie. Um, yeah. But it's like Guillermo del Toro sh- should, like, if he did some shit in that space with like some talented actors like Bradley Cooper, like maybe you can give him the keys to the castle. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of potential there because, yeah, I just really had a lot of fun watching them gush over practical effects and the fact that, like, oh, yeah, like, he, like there's actually rain falling inside the set. Like, they just make, like, just, like, that, like, uh, adoration of just the magic of filmmaking in a very just, like, physical level is something I will always be here for. And I think that I'm drawn to Nightmare Alley more just because it's kind of just, like, Hey, we're having fun over here. We're not, we're having a party. It might be like the movie might be like kind of a schlog at the end, but like I'm I'm kind of just more drawn and more enthusiastic about stuff like that. All right, uh, does that wrap up for Nightmare Alley? Um, I think so. Um, um what have you been watching lately? So yeah, I've been reading um, Notes of a Native Son by James Baldwin, and so. Like, I wasn't really familiar with his writing style. I think I've read Giovanni's Room, like, years ago, but it's the first time reading, like, essays from him, and his style is very, like, um, it's, like, kind of fragmented. It kind of, like, runs on. It's very, like, flowy in the way that he uses, like, um, semicolons and and commas to sort of, like, string ideas and pieces of thought together. I just really appreciate his, his, like, style of writing. It was kind of challenging for me at first because I was like I think I'm used to more just like straightforward like I think like Asada's book is very straightforward she's just like using like a lot of colloquialisms and just like a lot of slang and shit and just being like hey like I'm calling a pig a pig yeah. <laughs> and like but James James Baldwin is much more like poetic and much more specific with his word choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah much more yeah like poetic and delicate with his word choice and so that led me to the movie of If Beale Street Could Talk have you seen no, this from a few years ago? Uh, it's pretty good. It's it's a really sweet movie. Um, yeah, it's one of those movies where it's like this is uh, it's Barry Jenkins. It is like I think it's Barry Jenkins working at like the highest level where he like has a full cast of actors that he can sort of like draw from like Regina King and Brian Tyree Henry is there. It's just like it's it's just like it feels like a very lived in movie. And I think it is like a really sweet kind of black. Hist- like it feels like a black history movie even though it is like not about like a historical event it's more just like a slice of life's uh, cinema verite from just like being in the 70s and being in Harlem and just dealing with uh, a little bit of like police brutality but it, it definitely focuses on like the love aspect and like the connections of the characters where even though our heroes have endured tragedy like visually we never see it and visually we just focus on the uplifting size of that so I thought that was a really cool thing so I, I recommend that if like I know there's like with black films it could, like it could either be like really sad or like kind of just like silly comedies and sometimes finding that middle ground is kind of tough and this movie is really good where it's it, it is not too sad but and it, like it is not too sappy and it is I think it's just like the appropriate amount of like uplifting and Barry Jenkins I think he's one of those filmmakers who's going to be around for a long time because I think he has a really good good eye and a good sense of like characters and writing so that's one thing that I highly recommend that I watch this week um and then another one that's a little bit more controversial this is about a figure who is 
oh, I gotta take a breath for this because um, oh. this is somewhat like people don't fuck with without you even saying yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I've been watching Genius, the Kanye West documentary on Netflix, and like people like hate Kanye West. He's kind of going through his whole thing right now where he's in the midst of an album release and it's just chaos. It's just it's just messy. If you've ever been a fan of Kanye West as of recently, the releases are messy. It's just it's just a fucking headache. And so when you ask someone about Kanye West, sorry, when you talk to people about Kanye West in 2022, usually they're going to say something to the tune of, I like Kanye West, or like, I used to like Kanye West, but then something changed, or like, I like the old Kanye West. And so I think this is like a perfect piece of media for those kind of people, because like, it's a fly on the wall documentary by this dude named Cootie, and Cootie was with Kanye West, like, in the mud, like in the like the process of him signing to Rockefeller, wow. meeting all these people, like it's basically like fly on the wall footage of Kanye West, like showing music to other artists and him, people just being like, so yeah, like you hear about the new BlackBerry, like you can send emails and be like, Shit. just like completely ignoring him. He's just like rapping Fuck. songs, <laughs> acapella. He's like rapping songs like acapella, like two inches away from people's faces, and they're just like not caring. Yeah. And he's like doing like he's putting in so much work and so much effort into doing this. And then, like, when you see him succeed, it's just, like, fucking so cathartic. And the relationship that he has with his uh, mom, Donda, is really beautiful. It's really gorgeous. And I think that Donda's effect on Kanye is something that, like, is really gorgeous and really, like, something to cherish. And I'm a hip-hop fan. I love rap music. And, like, seeing, like, a lot of these really small, intimate moments is something I'll I'll always draw to because it's just, like... It's great documentary shit to see like Pharrell reacting to a song for the first time or these like people hearing these like songs for the first time. It's just like really powerful. And I'm like, I'm a musician. I just like seeing these intimate moments where you see songs being written and ideas sort of being shot down or ideas being accepted. I think it's a really cool thing, but yeah, it's, it's kind of also indicative of his relationship to the public where it's like Cootie is there and then he's like talking to him about like making the Jesus walk the Jesus walks music video and Kanye's like yeah I think I'm gonna go with Hype Williams instead and like I love you Cootie I know you've been here but I'm gonna start working with bigger directors and then also you're not gonna be on tour like I'm not gonna invite you to the tour and then it's just like he's gone and then the trajectory happens the up and downs continue if you're like my age 31 you've sort of have experienced all of this drama firsthand to the point where it's exhausting and so it's kind of cool where like you sort of just skip forward and then like then all of a sudden you're in the dominican republic and he's like yeah so about that 2020 presidential election it's like all of his friends are gone and like the only person there is the person that was there from the very beginning yeah and so it's like it's really fucking fascinating because i'm just like yeah you sort of have this massive time jump but if you're kind of in my seat, you sort of don't need that. Like, it's really interesting just to see, like, oh, yeah, here, here's who he is when, like, nobody cares about him. Like, literally, in the very beginning and towards the very so end. So does it and feel so, like, like it's also about Kanye West's relationship with Cootie? Like, it's also about yeah. a relationship between friends rather than just about, you know, someone's rise to stardom? Yeah, it is. it does feel more about that relationship to the point where it's detrimental mm-hmm. to the movie, okay. to the point where, like, Cootie's... Uh, narration is not good. Oh, okay. <laughs> just like, 
Yeah, so we got invited to the Rockefeller seminar. We walked in, and Jermaine Dupree was there. And it's just like, like you can sound a little bit excited yeah. about this. Like this is like literally hip hop history. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like he's talking about like there's this a really iconic moment where Kanye is like trying to get signed, and he hasn't been signed, and he hasn't been respected. And then he gets signed, and then he gets invited to a concert in Chicago where Jay-Z hands him a Rockefeller chain on stage. It's like this really big mm-hmm. thing where it's just like, oh, now like we're literally yeah. accepting you He's into the circle. He's invited to the Illuminati, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. basically. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, so we knew Jay-Z was going to be in Chicago, so Kanye had to be there. And it's just like, man, it's just like, it's like this is literally fly-on-the-wall footage of some of the most incredible mid-2000s rap history and it's just like you're making it sound like you're talking about like wood <laughs> like, I <don't> know, like, <laughs> it's just, like i don't even know like i don't even have a joke there it's just it, it, it's just fine <laughs> it's just such an absurd package but like i've just been like obsessed with it because i just love that fly on the wall footage because it's so raw because i don't know just seeing musicians in the studio is just always great um that's about it for me this week. What have you been watching? Uh, it's not about it for you because we saw a movie together. We saw oh, yeah. Mad God, <laughs> directed by, written and directed could, by Phil Tippett. How could I forget um, this incredible night? 30 years in the making, we went to Alameda Theater, Alameda International Film Festival, saw yeah. a stop-motion animation movie, and it was like, so Carl, who's been on the show, he asked me like how Mad God was, and I was like, it was something <laughs> like I didn't want to spoil it for him. I don't want to say too much because he was going to watch it the next day. Um, but that was about all I could say was it was something. Um, I was not expecting it to not have any dialogue. Really, I wasn't expecting it to. Uh, yeah, I, I was expecting more of a through line, more of a story. Um, yeah. This feels like it's more just about a setting i guess i don't know like how would you describe it i would describe it like i feel like it's about characters operating within a cycle and it's more about that cycle as opposed to what those characters are trying to do or accomplish there are things that do get accomplished and like tasks and things that they're trying to do but it does seem to be like a an abstract piece that is kind of just making a commentary about like okay we as humans have societies we have connections we have these communities that happen what what happens in this post-apocalyptic context where everything is just sort of out of whack sorry everything is out of whack and all the shit is crazy but like i don't know like it, it is a very strange movie i went into it blind i didn't yeah. know anything about mad god or phil Tippett or anything ended up taking a picture with the guy which was really fucking cool <laughs> just like bumping shoulders with all those people down in the third row which is incredible but yeah watching the movie i was just like i don't know how to process this because yeah it's, it's i think it's gorgeous i think it's really cool but yeah it's just like it's a weird cycle of there's a hierarchy there. There is something there, but like I don't really know what to make of it. I think the best way I can describe it is it feels like watching an hour and a half long tool video. <laughs> yeah. Um, but That's good. yeah, so I'm reading the IMDb synopsis. I'm going to read the IMDb synopsis right now because maybe this will do a better job. A corroded diving bell descends amidst a ruined city and the, S- and the capital, 
A. Assassin emerges from it to explore a labyrinth of bizarre landscapes inhabited by freakish denizens. Um, it also sort of felt like to me if they made a if the labyrinth, the uh, Jim Henson movie Labyrinth, was Which made without David Bowie and without Jennifer Connelly, well, you just remove <laughs> the main characters, and the movie is just like shit happening at the labyrinth. Um, that's kind of, yeah, and no dialogue. That's kind of what this movie is, and it was good. <laughs> yeah, I was really into it. I really like the just the the descent. The whole thing is about like yeah, like you're sort of going downward. It's like a three a lot minute of, long, five minute long descent. Yeah, I was. I thought it was. It felt longer it felt to me. Very it felt long. like that. That first descent felt like a good like ten, fifteen minutes, or it could have just been. It's that that it happens again. But yeah, I don't know. I still need to figure out how I feel about that movie because, like I say, um, I sort of got to meet Phil Tippett at this event and. I had a seat in the middle, and then the festival director had me give my seat up to the director and the, the I believe the sound person. Yeah. And so, in the process of that, I think I ended up sitting next to Chris Coppola, who was Nicholas Cage's, Nicholas Cage's brother. brother. And so, in the process of that, my my brain is just fried. I'm just like I am just processing the experience as opposed to the psychedelia yeah. on the screen. Chris Coppola went on stage <laughs> to host the like an interview with Phil Tippett, um, and I'm forgetting the sound designer's name, but. Um, Basically, as soon as he started talking, like getting ready to introduce them, uh, Emily leans over to me and she's like, wait, is this Nicolas Cage's brother? (laughs) And you can absolutely (laughs) tell just from like his cadence and his mannerisms, like he talks exactly like Nicolas Cage. Yeah, there's a big old biker jacket on. It's great. I love the film festival atmosphere because it's just like a bunch of film nerds getting together and gush about this but it's like we're also a bunch of just socially awkward people <laughs> just like a bunch of fucking nerds like, like yeah we're just like we're a bunch of weird people and that's just we gotta call it what it yeah. is or just a bunch of weirdos in the theater gushing over and movies. it's like a lot of the successful people are just nerds who found investors <laughs> like that's all it yeah. is uh, and they're like yeah so we you know we had the warehouse and we just kept inviting people over to work on it i don't know what else to tell like you the, the, <laughs> that's the thing i've sort of learned over the years is like the most famous artists like we all, we already know the most famous artists aren't necessarily the best artists but like these like so so uh coppola kept using the phrase the word the word maestro to describe these people yes maestros. and it's like okay like the the way these people become maestros is because they got lucky enough to develop their uh craft their art as a profession there are plenty of artists out there who are just as good if not better who just yeah. did not, who weren't able to develop that into a profession. Um, you're very fortunate if you can be creative in your <laughs> in your work. Uh, many people yeah. can't. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's really just about, like, it, it's a job the same way anyone else has a job. It's just they're, they're enabled to do the creativity that they're very good at that many other people are also very good at that they're just not enabled to do. So, I don't know. Yeah, I feel that. Honestly, I left that screening feeling so energized yeah. because it, 
it kind of tied into this whole thing where like been in film I, I was interested in the film festival world as like a possible career when I was going to SF State and living in San Francisco and I was constantly going to the San Francisco International Film Festival or the San Francisco Jewish Film Festival I was always just like trying to make that my world and kind of circling back to this night where I kind of stumbled into it and then ended up meeting the filmmaker the producer and the festival director all all in one brief bit of time it's just like like yeah I belong here it's like, I, like it kind of re-energized me it's like yeah like I can come in here and kind of smile my way into this like into the into these circles and it like it's kind of happened before and when it happened again I was just like I need to come go back and write something and kind of get back into it so I left very fucking motivated cool. for that evening it was I it was like I, I was literally I was just like oh yeah I'll just go whatever I don't even care it's all good put on my Jurassic Park shirt and then left feeling like yeah with this put on my Phil Tippett shirt <laughs> <laughs> yeah just like so happy yeah so thank you for the invite cool. I appreciate yeah, it um yeah stoked for fucking Elden Ring yeah. fucking just <laughs> just ready so for I do right I now. fucking I've never done this before I took the day off for Elden Ring <laughs> I've never yes, taken yes. the day off for a game or a movie or anything um it's my it's Carl's birthday on Friday oh nice and Happy like birthday, uh him and my buddy Tim were like we gotta take the day off <laughs> like we gotta take the day off yeah. and like we're all gonna get Elden Ring and we're all gonna play it on Carl's birthday <laughs> and so nice. yeah we got a group have of you heard it, if it has that like online it does yeah capability? It has you can have a, a four okay. person you can, one person can wow. host three additional people so we got nice. three people at my job took the day off and then one person who used to work with us <laughs> took a day off from their job too well, that's cool yeah i know adam's getting in my better my buddy uh, Stuart might be getting it too so hopefully get it yeah a dude team of four. That'd be and you're on playstation too so yes nice. yes right yeah um yeah, uh, I know we're kind of running long. Any other final thoughts about the Oscars or the categories? Or I, I honestly, I haven't really even looked at the categories outside of Best Picture, and it's only because we're doing this show. <laughs> like, gotcha. like I need to know who the Best Picture nominees are so we can record this. Yeah, yeah, it's just weird. Yeah, it's taking away those eight categories. I feel like, like editing and score. Yeah, especially are something that should definitely be yeah. televised. It's like editing is movies. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And I don't, I feel like even like if we weren't film students or, or film nerds, or, we'd be like, hey, like the music and the cutting seem yeah. to be a really it's big like part cutting of cinematography made... or like director. <laughs> like, yeah. Like we, we just mentioned like, um, one of the time, like a movie's made, is it, is that the saying a movie's made three times the writing, the directing and the editing? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like one, yeah, one of those times is integral to whatever form this picture takes. This picture takes. Um. Yeah, it's just like a lot of these moments that are in our mind, like like you say, like they start on the paper and then they're physically produced and shot, yeah. and then they're spliced together in the way that are yeah. that's done very so specifically. It's just it like too. it's like the fucking Exorcist 
is an iconic movie because you you have the ability to hide faces and be like, oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry, bump something. The Exorcist is fucking iconic because you have the ability to sort of to be fluid with how you you know have horror depicted, whether it be, you know hiding stuff in you know, in frames or you know just there, I I like I feel like an idiot. Like why am I defending editing like film editing? It's just like this is such an important part of this art. Like why like you know, the Academy Awards concerned with like ratings and people who don't care like so i watched mad max Fury road like over a dozen times and i kept wondering to myself like why is this so watchable and it's just because of the editing and that movie i just looked it up margaret sixel who she had never edited an action movie before um she was given over 480 hours of footage to edit that to put together that movie um so yeah pretty fucking important <laughs> yeah yeah can't yeah it's, can't, it, it's just insane to me like that change is just like kind of baffling um but yeah these these movies are good have we decided what we're going we haven't decided what we're yeah, watching we have not. So we probably should have known okay yeah there's eight more movies left and so cool. we'll, we'll decide fun. and announce it excited. announce it on social media or something yeah. Okay, well, it sounds like this has been episode 74 of Vague Zone. If you would like to contact us, you can email us, vaguezonepod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us, at vaguezone.com. If you have questions, comments, concerns, franchise suggestions, if you think we should watch all of the Hangover films, let us know. We'll do it. We'll definitely watch John Goodman in the third one because he's so fantastic as the villain. He's great. He's, it's, it's a great, great moment. Um, yeah it's been a good episode thank you for listening i'm thomas and i'm daniel we'll catch you on the next one